Hello and welcome to the Ballot Box Global Election Coverage from a team of political scientists. I'm Jonathan Parker in London. I'm Chris Terry in Manchester. I'm Andres Besser in New York City. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of The Ballot Box. So after a little bit of a hiatus, we are returning to Latin America for some Latin America um, elections coverage. Um, And this time we're turning to the oldest, most established um, Latin American democracy of them all, uh, which is Costa Rica. Um, Some of you may be aware of this just because it, it stands out for the kind of massive length of time that it's been um, uninterruptedly under a democracy compared to its neighbours um, and also mm. as, as a bit of trivia is one of the only countries on the planet that, that has no military as well um, so all good pub quiz uh, question answers um, for the, this country um, but it is a fascinating little country as well um, and just held general elections for president um also two vice presidents another little quirky detail and um the legislature as well so we'll we'll go through those so we've got the first round of the elections to discuss um and we'll maybe speculate a little bit about what the where the second round is going to go um and a bit about the kind of background of costa rican politics how it's got to be just so successful democratic wise and also, um, I think we may take a bit of a tangent into um, runoff elections and uh, the two-round system as well um, for this. All right, um, but before we start, how is everyone doing? How is things in Manchester, Chris? Good, good. Um, I've, I've been down to Dorset to see my family over the weekends, so that was very pleasant. Um, it's very cold here because it's February, but apart from that, solid. And how's, how's New York doing? It's going well. Um, you know, first semester, first week of the of the semester is is over. I'm happy to to have met new students in my politics of Latin America course. Um, so yeah, generally things are are good. And and how about London? Yeah, good, good. Well, this is actually the last week of the first half of my semester, and um, so I'm barreling towards reading week, um, which is going to be quite nice um, to take <laughs> time off. but yeah it's um everything's everything fine otherwise um obviously for for outside listeners um the uh, the uk's politics is uh, pretty entertaining at the moment um yeah so they've got that to keep us going otherwise uh, yeah <laughs> uh, i don't know if this is the most um horrible potential downfall of a government we've ever had but it may well be the funniest so that's been enjoyable <laughs> Yeah, um, so I was thinking about cakes, obviously, in the context of the UK, and um, it wouldn't be the first time that a cake has caused political ripples. Um, In the 19th century, a French baker complained about uh, his, his store being destroyed by an angry mob of Mexicans. And what ensued was a diplomatic conflict that escalated into a French intervention, sometimes referred to as the War of the Cakes. Um, so, you know, you'll you'll be the second. It'll be the second time that cakes have have uh, um, have muddled politics. Was the guerrilla warfare with cakes used in ambush contexts? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just just Sunday, just gone on sixth February, um, we had ballots for president, uh, two vice presidents and uh, members of parliament. Um, This was um, 
there was an interesting election in that it saw a, a lot of candidates, a lot more than usual. So there's 25 candidates stood, um, which was a record. Um, and the first place candidate only gained around 28% of the vote as well, and the second place about about 17. Um, so this is a pretty fractured political landscape that is emerging from these elections. The the runoff will see a, a, a close race in the end, it seems, between two centrist candidates. Um, although the, I was also there was some talk beforehand of uh, the sort of the the right doing pretty well maybe there's some mm. kind of like insurgent candidates on the far right they've not made it through do you want to just briefly outline who the the two leading candidates are before we move on to the constitutional setup um sure one is jose maria figueres of the party of national liberation or plm he is you know con- his party is considered kind of center left although very centrist um mm. in, in, in indeed and daniel and, and sorry rodrigo chavez of the Social Democratic Progress Party, which is a new party. So in contrast to the PLN, this is a very new party um, that Mm. was founded as a kind of reaction against uh, perceived kind of corruption and decay of the traditional two-party system of which the PLN is part. It's worth noting that Jose Maria Figueres, and we'll go into this Mm. in a little bit more detail further on, was already president of of Costa Rica from 1994 to 98. And he's not the first president to have relaunched his political career and and have aspirations for a second term after a long while of being out of politics in Costa Rica. While Rodrigo Chavez is is a kind of a technocratic figure um, who's been working in politics, but he had most most of his career had been had been done abroad, actually, in, in, in Indonesia and the United States. Uh, yes, um, although um, had a kind of interesting kind of time of things recently because he um, he was appointed finance minister at one point by the um, president, and then had a falling out <laughs> with the president, um, and then um, essentially tried to kind of turn himself into a kind of anti. Um, ruling party candidate, <laughs> um, so um, which was part of what caused the founding of this party as well. Um, so it's it, it, which, yeah, to some extent, it's quite personal beast from what I understand. Yeah, that that's a really good that's a really good point. I think that that's the most interesting part of of the Chavez story. Mm. Um, and I believe anyway. that Figueres has a has a notable ancestor as well. Right, that's right. He is the son of the legendary uh, Figueres, president of Costa Rica, who was the interim president and then constitutional president, elected president. He was the president after the Costa Rican Civil War, who abolished the army, in fact. Mm. Um, so the, the, the current candidate who, who ended up in first place comes from this kind of long Costa Rican lineage or political dynasty. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, um, so I think we'll, we'll get back to the candidates and the race um, in a little bit. Um, but as usual, I think we should uh, sketch out the uh, the constitutional setup um, of Costa Rica. Um, so, uh, as with all of the Latin American elections we cover, this is a presidential system. Um, but um, as with the others, they they all tend to have their own little quirks. Um, so yeah, why don't um, take us through it a little bit? Um, Sure. So Costa Rica is a unicameral presidential system. Like other countries in Central America, it's it's unicameral. There, it's it's uh, the the parliament is a fifty-seven member uh, body called the um, Legislative Assembly, 
With a population of 5 million, that, that leaves it at about 88,000 inhabitants per member of, of, of this assembly. That's a relatively large number of constituents per member of the assembly. And there's actually been, I mean, not large maybe in international terms, but for you know the possibilities within Costa Rica. So there's actually been calls to reform it, to increase the number of, of assembly members that hasn't changed in a long time. Mm. So 88,000 uh, per member of parliament is kind of approaching UK numbers, I think, right? Yeah, and, and typically smaller countries have um, have fewer constituents per per representative. You know, if you really want to get into the weeds of political science, the key root, root law, which says that your assembly size should match the cube root of the population, uh, would say that um, would pres presumably say that Costa Rica is undersized in, in yeah. terms of its assembly. What would the cube root of five million be? I'm, I'm not going to do the maths. <laughs> there is, I believe, one of those Wikipedia list articles which has all the countries, their cube root rule, mm -hmm. legislative size. And the actual legislative size. Um, there you go. So if you were interested, then we can, mm -hmm. we can dive into that at some point. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, no, fifty-seven members is, is is quite small. It's well, and, and you know, in addition to that, it's um, it's it's a PR system as most of Latin America with closed lists. Um, the districts map onto the provinces of the country, and they range from four to nineteen. So four is quite small. Nineteen being um, San Jose. The, the the capital city. Um, there's no direct re-election, but as we'll see, there is indirect re-election, and it's a temptation of um, people who've already been president to step in and and join the join the race again, as as is also the case in Chile actually, which has seen this kind of in and out of um, of, mm -hmm. of former presidents. Um, there are not one, but two vice presidents. And here, here's a joke. Luckily, there's only one uh, Dick Cheney, the <laughs> most infamous of all Veeps. Mm. So, Costa... <laughs> um, so a, it's it's a quirk of Costa Rica. I don't know of other countries that have two vice presidents, um, and they you know they appear in the ballot next to next to each president. Yeah, I think there's a couple, but like, is it probably one? Um, but yes, oh, actually, I don't remember. Yes. Mm. Yeah, so well that's 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 quite you know it's quite interesting. Yes. Um uh, and you had a note, Chris, on the on the government structure, which I thought was very good here. Yeah, so um since since the 1960s, Costa Rica in the 1960s, Costa Rica created a position called within the cabinet called the Minister of the Presidency, which has become very powerful and which is sometimes described as a kind of prime ministerial position um, in a kind of informal way. Um, the current president, um, Caseda, kind of innovated with the position a little bit. So beforehand, it had always been held by a member of the president's party. Um, in 2018, when Caseda won, he gave the position to um, a candidate, to um, the losing candidate from um the social christian unity party the traditional party of the center right um, which might be surprising because caseda hails from a quite left-wing party um but he did it because um that candidate backed him in the second round against a kind of more radical right-wing candidate 
um, so as a, as a, a reward. Um, uh, and he's they've since he's since changed who that um, which party that ministry belongs to twice once to his own party and then after that to um, the um, the party of national liberation the kind of traditionally dominant party in Costa Rica. Um, but it, I think this is kind of getting at Costa Rica seems to take on some quite consensual aspects. So like the current current government has four parties in it. There's Casada's PAC, which is a kind of leftist party. There's a broad front, which is a kind of never quite left-wing party. And then the kind of two traditional parties, the, the National Liberation Party and the Social Christian Unity Party. Um, which, yeah, like given that we're used to thinking of presidential systems as being quite conflictual, is is, is interesting. And, and uh, uh, but albeit, I suspect it probably is one of the reasons why Costa Ricans seem to be becoming a bit disenchanted with their political class, because of course it means that they're all that, that, that they will all seem a little bit close together. Yeah, that's that's a really good that's a really good point. Um, uh, yeah, I think that that that's that's a great way of bringing of kind of um, making sense of why uh, this place that's admired because and it's in a way the envy of the elites in other regions and in other parts of the world mm. um, has citizens who are fairly disenchanted with their own politicians. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because Costa Rica is, I mean, particularly for Central America, incredibly rich and politically stable. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you know, when you, yeah, consider, yeah. when you consider the other countries in the region that we've discussed on this podcast, Honduras, Nicaragua, yeah. El Salvador. Yeah. Costa Rica is head and shoulders above all of them in terms of wealth and and, and democracy. Yeah. And, and it even has things to boast to like you know you know developed nations like its human development index is really really high Mm. it's kind of conservation policies um yeah it's you know yeah first country in the world to to set a target to be carbon neutral um so yeah yeah but and yet uh citizens can are are quite disenchanted it's it's a good it's a good paradox yeah it's important um and, and and I think one of the major parts of, of the political system, the constitutional setup, and something that we said that we would talk about is the, the runoff system, the presidential runoff. And it's it's I think it, it's it kind of made sense to talk about this feature of the political system, the constitutional setup in this election, because it's so clearly what is incentivizing the incredible number of well, it's one of the one of the ingredients in in what's incentivizing the, the incredible number of presidential candidates, twenty five, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, presidential system in in the case of Costa Rica, it has an absolute threshold of forty percent, which is quite interesting. It's below fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's quite low. It's usually fifty percent. There's obviously yes. different types of thresholds. Some can be mobile thresholds in the sense like some countries can have mobile thresholds like 20 10 uh, you know 10 margin of advantage whatever in latin america mm-hmm. most i think all of the runoff systems have a fixed threshold but they're all 
fifty percent or above. I think. Um, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe not Bolivia. I think I think I think Ecuador has a mobile threshold, if I remember correctly. But I think it's like twenty percent though, so it's quite big. Um, that's, that's, uh, yeah, I think there's a couple of examples like that. Um, so you know, it's you, you need forty percent of the votes to to not you know to to make it as you know, to to win the election, and if not, you go into a second round of voting. And in this case, it'll be held on Sunday, April the third. Mm. Um, uh, and and you had a really good note here, Chris. Yeah. Uh, so the um, this forty percent figure. So until two thousand and two, every single presidential election had seen a, a, a candidate gain more than 40% of the vote and therefore there hadn't been a second round. So, um, which I, I you know, is telling because Costa Rica historically had quite a two-party system. Um, and then um, the last three have all had a second round, so no one has passed 40%. Um, so that's quite telling in terms of this is a political system that is fragmenting. Uh, I kind of wonder if, you know, um, coming off the discussion we've just had, uh, you, some of what you've just said to some extent, if once you kind of breach that point where you start getting second rounds, suddenly the logic of the system starts to sh shift a little bit. Because when it was a kind of case that there was kind of two parties that could reach 40%, you were kind of, that that kind of became kind of self self-creating in terms of like if there's two parties that can reach 40 percent i should probably vote for one of them to try to try and make sure that my preferred candidate out of those two gets it once you start kind of once you start falling below that point you'll start going well then i don't need to vote for one of those two guys anymore i can start voting for um i can start voting for other candidates so that might have kind of like acted acted as a kind of catalyst for fragmentation even though you know to get to that point you'd already have to have some <laughs> no that's that's an amazing that's an that's an incredible intuition i i i, I could yeah I, I that makes a lot of sense mm. i'd love yeah i wonder how extensive you know you know if other countries have have had similar things the kind of activation of rules like the rules are there but then if yeah, they're not yeah. being used they're not exactly know, the, uh, the, the rules aren't being directed. the rules aren't being activated by the conditions but once once certain events start happening they, they start being activated and therefore it changes the logic yeah yeah mm. um and, and and kind of what is the what's the purpose of 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 the mm. two-round system we, we could also ask and and i found a really interesting article by uh one of the big latin american political like one of the big names in political science uh of people who specialize in latin america in the from the us uh, anibal perez linian who's uh, argentinian probably now also american um and he has a really nice article where he he, he says that uh kind of the 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 objective of the two-round system is to increase the legitimacy of the president. Um, that's a kind of traditional argument. Um, and that's uh, supposedly why uh, countries would want to include that in their constitution. I think that there's a little bit of copycatting as well. Um, that's mm. actually maybe one of the reasons why it ends up in being such a popular move in, in Latin America. Um, and, and, and what Perez Linian 
shows in that article is that uh, runoff systems have become more and more popular in Latin America. They weren't a feature of constitutions before the third wave of democratization. So before like the late 1970s, early 1980s. And as countries became democratic in this last wave, they, they re-democratized after periods of, of dictatorship, um, uh, they, they adopted this system. Um, so in, in 79, only two Latin American countries, Costa Rica being one of them and Ecuador had runoff systems, um, but now um, about 12 or 13 of them have it. Have it. Um, and some of the arguments, uh, other arguments in favor of the runoff system are that um, in addition to increasing the legitimacy of the president, um, it creates the opportunity for a broader governing coalition. In, in the rush to the center that happens between the first and the second round of voting. Um, so where so candidates, first and second round candidates will want to negotiate with other parties and other politicians to, in, to get their backing. Um, and so that increases the, the constituency which they represent and therefore should create more governability. Um, um, because more people feel more interests are taken into account in the in the presidential system, in the in the sorry in the period of government. However, critics of this system have noted that um, the legitimacy created in the second round is sometimes artificial. So it's sometimes that people, um, so so it's just like the appearance of having obtained the majority, but they're in fact still only representing. A kind of largest constituency, but that doesn't reach the 50% or 40% or whatever. There's also a long, long run incentive for pulverization, which is, I think, what we're seeing in Costa Rica. Um, and it can, it, it obviously, I think, and this is the kind of major downfall, I think, is that the incentive towards fragmentation also creates an incentive for divided governments because legislative elections are always held along with the first round of presidential voting, mm. not the second round. So if you have a lot of presidential candidates, presidential candidates influence voters um, voters who don't divide up their votes, sometimes called unsophisticated voters. Um, but, you know, it's a real thing. So you end up having a president that has uh, very weak legislative uh, support, which is kind of the, I guess, the centerpiece in, in the arguments around why the presidential system is is prone to conflict or prone to prone to breakdown. Yeah, funding funding arguments. Yeah, the, yeah, and uh, for example, Peru is a, like as we discussed in the our episode on that is a kind of particularly extreme example of that um, because you had these two polarizing figures, um, and then the one that won has a very poor <laughs> position in Congress. Um, um, because of um, and was essentially voted in because he he wasn't Fujimori. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, yeah, which is essentially but, the opposite of what the French do. Um, in terms yes, of, like you stick the legislative elections just afterwards, um, and then in general, you just give the whoever won the presidency the parliamentary majority. The fact um, that that. The fact that that's a majoritarian election as well, yeah. electoral system as well, but because they use a two-round system to elect their MPs as well, obviously incentivizes towards towards whoever the biggest party is, and that that's very likely to be the president's party. Yeah, mm -hmm. 
it strikes me you could get that kind of like um and I, i'd be interested to know if, if you guys have any examples you can think of of, of anything like this happening that you have um after the second round it looks like one candidate would have an easier time in the legislature so that mm -hmm. they advantages them in the second round is this mm -hmm. a is this a thing that that happens at all do the legislative results ever influence the the second round that you know of i think i think actually coming back to parade like there was some anecdotal talk kind of funnily enough of the opposite because there was these two polarizing candidates or what uh, like i saw an, a bit of anecdotal talk that um that people in peru probably i suspect primarily uh, uh, middle class kind of intelligentsia that tend to be quite vocal but nonetheless like some chat to the extent of let's vote for the guy who's got the weaker legislative position because then he'll be easier to impeach if he gets out of line <laughs> um, um so yeah there, there might be some gaming of things to, uh, in, in those terms a really good question it uh, in latin america i think the presidential system is the presidential elections and presidential figures tend to be so so much weightier than mm. every other election that um i feel so much so much politics is driven by by kind of you know um the presidency but i don't know it's, it's a really good question i really yeah i don't know this is just yeah there, there's some talk in the us as well of the idea that um part of the midterm election fact where midterms tend to swing against the president might be because um particularly swing voters might actually quite like the idea of divided government um even if perhaps like that seems a bit odd <laughs> um like you can kind of see how, why why they might feel like that fits within the spirit of how the constitution was designed, things like that. Mm. 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 Good. Mm. Very interesting. Um, then there's this other possibility in the, you know, in addition to like divided governments, um, which is the outcome inversion, where candidates who ended up in the second place can win the first, can win first place, which is, you know, obvious. That's what the system is set up to to to, mm. to make possible. Um, but some critics believe that that actually undermines the um, the the kind of legitimacy building element to the runoff system. I, I don't quite think so, but um, Perez Linyan, you know, lists it as one of its potential downfalls. Um, in that article, by the way, he, it's not very conclusive, but he does find that um the, the there doesn't seem to be a relationship between runoff systems and the possibility of there being um crisis in government so he doesn't find a lot of evidence that it's actually creating more stability in fact he says um he, he says that there's a possibility that it might actually be doing the opposite mm -hmm. um, but not not very strong evidence in, in this case yeah 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 you can figure it i can think of a few you, know, you can think of competing examples as well. Because, like, for example, one problem that probably led to the coup against Chile, uh, to against Allende in Chile, was the fact that there wasn't a second round where the president went when 
when when election was indecisive, the legislature chose who the president was, and so well that kind of created a sense of uh, had kind of so there's been some discussion over whether that caused like legitimacy problems and things like that. Mm. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we we clearly saw in this case in Costa Rica the the activation of incentives around the two round system. Hence, twenty five candidates in the ballot. And I included a, a photograph of in the show notes of the ballot um, that Costa Ricans got. We'll tweet it out, I think, um, along with this episode. It's it's interesting to see such a massive. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's almost it almost looks like a like a, a board game. Um, it's it's so huge and and kind of colorful. Mm-hmm. So we can add that there. We've already mentioned that Costa Rica has this really long kind of democratic history um, and so does a lot better, better than many surrounding countries on, on various metrics, uh, including kind of economic ones as well. Do you want to say a little bit about the, the background to Costa Rican politics, how this is, sort of situation has come about? Sure, yes. Um, so we already mentioned the many virtues of, of Costa Rica. Um, it was, you know, during the Cold War, it was just one of three countries that were traditionally put into the category of like Latin American democracies, along with Venezuela and Colombia, although, you know, Colombia was extremely violent. So Mm. its position there was, you know, it had competitive elections, but it didn't resemble any other democracy in the world in the the sense that, you know, there was basically a raging civil war for 50 years. Um, Venezuela was, was, I think, kind of similar to Costa Rica, but Venezuela was very rich, Costa Rica wasn't that rich, and still it had it's it's had this kind of vibrant democracy now now it's now it's uh, the the relationship is the inverse um and 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 this came about because there was a brief civil war that lasted 44 days after there was an accusation of fraud um of fraudulent elections mm-hmm. um there was actual you know a confrontation and then um jose jose figueres ferrer who led uh, part of the um, the armed rebellion ruled through a military junta for 18 months, and he abolished the army um, at the end of 1948 in the art and, and established Article 12 of the Costa Rican Constitution, which which prohibits the the an army. Um, and since then, Costa Rica has held competitive regular elections on schedule. Um, and and then. I'll say that one of the background pieces I read here was by my actual my professor Forrest Colburn and um, Arturo Cruz. It's an article printed in the Journal of Democracy. It was nice to see uh, Dr. Colburn's article there. Um, uh, it reminded me of his of his classes. But it, 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 this article is really nice because it's it kind of um, traces the the immediate kind of background to the 2022 election. Although um, you know it, this. And, and the kind of how the two-party system has kind of dissolved in Costa Rica. So the, the PLN, the Party of Liberal um, National Liberation, is a slightly center-left party. And then the Social Christian Unity Party used to be the, the main opposition, and it's slightly center-right. Um, for about, but, but for about two decades now, um, uh, the, the number of presidential candidates has increased to about 10 or 13 when before it was much fewer and as Chris noted before there wasn't even a, a, you know, the need for a second round. Um, 
And this led, this was probably, um, I mean, uh, sorry. Yeah, this this was probably, I mean, I think the, the highest, the most fragmented election before 2022 had been 2018. So there was a tendency towards fragmentation. And in 2018, we saw the guy who ended up in third place in this election, Fabricio Alvarado, who's a Christian evangelical from a very small party, win about 25% of the vote, um, basically through a campaign that centered like opposition to same-sex marriage and quote unquote gender ideology. Um, in second place was Carlos Alvarado, a novelist of the Citizen Action Party, um, who ended up winning in the runoff. And then he was, uh, um, uh, yeah, and then he was he was he was president um, after you know the, the runoff system. Um, sorry, I'm, uh, right? And 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 why is it that in 2018 the two party system kind of broke down? Mm. I think that there's 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 I think it's a, a story of kind of corruption and disenchantment, as we've said. There's a very kind of consensual part of Costa Rican politics, so people end up seeing kind of the same politicians, kind of in friendly terms. So they there's there's a sense of uh, malaise that uh, they're mm. they're kind of more buddies amongst themselves than representatives of, the, of their constituents. But in addition to that, there have been um, a lot of corruption scandals. So in 2004, uh, almost two decades ago, three ex-presidents from the major two parties had corruption scandals that severe, severely tarnished the image of the parties and eroded legitimacy and trust. Um, and, and, and one of the, the ex-presidents involved in this scandal was of the PLN, the Party of, of National Liberation. And in order to rescue the legitimacy and the viability of this party, Oscar Arias, who had been, who's the legendary president of Costa Rica from the, from the 80s, who signed peace agreements in, in Central America and got the Nobel Prize, went back into politics and won that election in 2006 um, and kind of rescued, kind of, according to Colborne, kind of breathed artificial life into the PLN um, and kept it running despite the corruption scandals. He had as his vice president, Laura Chinchillas, who would then win in 2010 as the first uh, female president of Costa Rica. But in 2014, um, the PAC, the uh, Citizen Action Party won and emerged as an alternative um, because corruption scandals reached um, the major parties again. Yeah, um, but, we should probably briefly mention that the PAC had been on the rise for quite a while. Like they had a kind of very close third, third in 2002. They had a pretty close second in 2006. So like they, they, they hadn't just like emerged out of nowhere. They'd been kind of like on the rise for kind of a little while. Absolutely. But then in 2017, there's a corruption scandal that also tarnishes the, the name of the, or the, the image of the Citizen Action Party. Um, uh, yeah. And then, yeah. So by 2018, it was clear that Costa Rica's two-party system was, was, was kind of severely on the wane. Um, and the words of Colburn and Cruz, the run-up to the February 2018 general election saw the PU, uh, the, the Christian Unity Party and the National Liberation Party determined to regain prominence, but their old failure, but their failure to do so um, was not an outlier. Costa Rica's old two-party system is over. Its demise was not the result of an ideological realignment 
on the part of voters. Instead, the two parties lost their legitimacy through the demonstrated corruption of their leaders. Mm. And indeed, the person who is now running for the, the person, the candidate who won in, in the first round, uh, Figueres, was also involved in a corruption scandal. He yeah. was found to have received a million dollars in kickbacks from Alcatel, a French um, telecommunications um, company. Mm-hmm. Although his charges were dismissed on a technicality in court, um, he's definitely, I think his image is definitely tainted to a degree for yeah. some voters. Yeah, I, I don't believe that his first presidential term, although it was successful in some regards, was remembered particularly well at the time too, if I remember correctly. So yes, I think I think as well, like that combines with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you know, Figueres was was president from ninety to ninety four. Um, he's you know the son of the, leg- the legendary Figueres. He received kickbacks in 2004. He was actually forced out of the World Economic Forum. He was like the chair of the president of the World Economic Forum because of this corruption scandal with Alcatel that was revealed in 2000 in in four, but had taken place a year before uh, a year before. Um, and he's and he, I mean, the, so it, it's an odd position to be in, right? To have won the first round, um, although with not a huge amount of support i mean only 27 percent, and have yeah. this corruption scandal weighing weighing upon you yeah his mm-hmm. yeah absolutely his, no no his, his his main opponent was Rodrigo chavez who's a 60 year old economist um he he worked uh chavez has a has a has a phd um from an from an american university in economics he's he's kind of a technical he's got a technocratic bent to him he was. Um, he then worked for the World Bank as an economist in Indonesia, and then was finance minister of finance in the government of Alvarado, who's the current president and the novelist who defeated the the far right Christian. Um, mm-hmm. But as as Chris noted, um, Chavez kind of exerted his independence as part of the the cabinet, something which you can't really do in a presidential system without yeah. the risk of getting kicked out. <laughs> he got the boot. Yes, yes. And and then seemingly, from what I understand, made Avaris like his number one enemy. <laughs> Basically, like just launched a one-man campaign against him. Um, which wasn't difficult because um his government became incredibly unpopular um for um some reasons I'll touch upon in a minute. But um yeah, I mean you can see that from the fact that. The PAC has fallen to less than one percent of the vote. It's it's basically it's fallen out of parliament. It's um, it's it, fallen out of national assembly, I should say. Um, it, so yeah, it's it's really just completely fallen out of the scene altogether. <laughs> I actually think it's a good it's a good moment to kind of talk about. Um... Alvarado and Chavez, I think. Uh, so the, the PSC, um, PSC came to power in 2014. Um, it it, um, it um, had a kind of very anti-corruption discourse, and this was one of the reasons why it won. So it wasn't. So although it's a left-wing party and it's left of um, the PLN as well as the um, traditional centre-right party, the, the Social Christian Union Party. 
part of its victory was to do with anti-corruption discourse and, and that kind of obviously kind of links into what you were just saying about um, the fall of these two parties to some extent being to do with corruption. Um, so um, the, the first election they won, the PLN's candidate just withdrew <laughs> um, because, because it became so obvious that he was going to lose and, and, and the, the Citizens Action Party was taking support from all over the political spectrum because of people who were wanting to just vote out the party that they saw was corrupt. Um, then um, the, the second election was kind of an interesting one as well because it came to be focused on gay marriage um, with the rise of this um, right-wing Christian candidate um, who was going on a kind of quite anti-gay marriage platform and, and so, so they, they won in part for that reason. So it hasn't been a party, although it's a left-wing party in keeping with a lot of Latin American left-wing parties that have risen up and taken power. It's not, it, that's not its only, that's not the only kind of things that have been driving it, in fact, far from that. Um, so for, first of all, um, you mentioned that there have been corruption problems with the PAC and with Alvaro. That obviously imposes some difficulty because of the fact uh, because of the fact that it started from this kind of very anti-corruption discourse. So it's one thing to be a corrupt party when everyone thinks that you're a corrupt party. It's another thing to be a corrupt party when one of your main selling points is supposed to be how not corrupt you are. <laughs> um, the second set of problems it's had actually more hook into its um, leftist position to some extent. So Costa Rica's a very rich country for Latin America and Central America. Um, it's got a kind of level of development, which is basically equivalent to somewhere like the Czech Republic, one of the richer kind of post-communist countries. Um, but, um, but it, um, but coronavirus um, has hit it particularly hard. Um, one of the reasons for, for Costa Rica being like so keen on the idea of sustainability is like it's basically trying to make itself into like an eco-tourist hotspot. Tourism is like a huge industry in Costa Rica. Um, you can understand why because it's got beautiful rainforests um, and it's also you know quite safe and wealthy and all all, all the kind of things that come with um, uh, that come with a country in Costa Rica's position. Um, so we've discussed coronavirus in like a number of detail uh, on a number of elections here. And one of the things that we've discussed is to some extent, coronavirus is not just a health crisis, it's also a, an economic crisis. And the economic crisis hit Costa Rica hard. Unemployment doubled, went up to 14%. Um, the country uh, and um, the, the country had very poor economic, very poor period economically. As we've discussed, um, the government wasn't just made up of the PAC. It also had the two traditional parties in it: the PLN and the Social Christian Unity Party. And in response to this, they pushed for austerity measures. <laughs> um, so Costa Rica ended up um, cutting state spending which when you're a president hailing from a left-wing party, once again, 
kind of starts to undermine you a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, um, it, so uh, uh, clearly, it, it, the party, it, to some extent, I think the party is a victim of this kind of cosy consensualism that Costa Rica seems to have. Like the, the kind of need to kind of form these quite kind of multi-party coalitions has clearly imposed some, um, it has clearly kind of driven it to perhaps more centrist positions than people would kind of expect from it in a particularly difficult period. <laughs> um, uh, it's also, um, as well as, you know, and so the party, I think, looks, you know, party that was voted for because it was left wing, because it was anti-corruption, now looks now looks corrupt and now looks like it's just the same with the other parties on social economic issues. <laughs> um, so, yeah, from that point of view, its collapse seems kind of logical. That's my bit. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's, that's, I think that that's totally right. And it's also, I mean, it's also a signal of the breakdown of, of traditional it, this is something that um, uh, mm. uh, 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 an Argentine political scientist working who used to work at Vanderbilt, I don't know if he's still, Noam Lupu, mm. he wrote a book called Party Brands in Latin America. Mm. And, and you know, he talks about how, in, you know, when poorly institutionalized parties can easily lose their branding. And so they, they're discarded, you know, they're, they, they no longer work. And so... Um, ambitious mm. politicians will, will then need to step in and kind of form a new party. Um, so mm. Costa Rica had had very institutionalized parties, but it's they're they're clearly not no longer that's no longer the case because one bad administration can lead to um, voters discarding that party and then and the emergence of a new party rather than renovation within the same party, right? Yeah, um, yeah, and, and of course, to some extent, it's one thing for a, a for a party that is still relatively young. Uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. essentially a party that's been formed in the twenty first century. But even you know, the the Social Unity Christian Party hadn't had a presidential election where their candidate only got three percent. So that volatility isn't just affecting the newer parties; it's also affecting the older ones to like to that kind of level of extreme. The PLN hasn't been driven to anything nearly that bad yet, but. The PLN, as the dominant party of Costa Rica, last election didn't even get into the second round. So that there, there, there was there clearly clearly weaknesses even there, um, and to some extent, PAC is also a victim because of the fact that there's another left wing party, the Board Up Front. So it, it, its voters have somewhere else, just flatly have somewhere else to go, <laughs> um, as well as kind of broadly centre-left parties, you know, the two candidates, one here are people that you can argue over whether they're centrist or centre-left, but um, uh, clearly to some extent that's a place for those voters to go to. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. Agreed. And, mm. and then, you know, um, you also have the emergence of the evangelical right, um, mm. as we had already mentioned, but the, the 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 candidate in t- 2018, who I think made a lot of people very nervous, has now you know he presented he was he was a candidate again. 
Um, but he only got around 15% of the vote, the, the New Republic Party. Um, so he's um, he didn't do quite as well, but he's a, a longstanding figure. And, you know, you never know, he might eventually win too if, if um, parties, you know, other parties seem, lose their being, lose their attractiveness to, to voters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I guess... I mean, yeah. we've already we've already kind of spoken about the results um, per candidate. So no 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 part no candidate got over thirty percent. The first place got twenty seven. Yeah, seventeen ish. Yeah, it's worth noting that within all, I think it's probably briefly worth noting that within all this, it might sound like the right is very weak in Costa Rica, and the right hasn't won a however you define right hasn't won a presidential election now in, in four elections so in some ways it is weaker than other countries but they did manage to get the um third fourth and fifth positions so it's not like the right in costa rica is completely weak to some extent it hasn't managed to homogenize around a single candidate um but um yeah, and, and, and it's I think still still clearly a force yeah mm. and i think that that's partly because um, as in other Central American countries, there is now a division between mm. Catholicism and, and and Protestantism. So Protestants have been growing very, very quickly um, in the last like 50 years, 40 years, um, and, and in recent times, but they didn't used to participate in party politics as actively as they do now. Yeah. Um, so now you actually get evangelical candidates and, and a lot of Catholics can't bring themselves to vote for them, even if they share some policy positions, like for example, around you know conservative like yeah um, positions I, and around etc. Yeah, I wonder if as well um, this might be a kind of unique thing in Costa Rica. I, I don't know what your reflections on this would be, but historically Costa Rica had a kind of major kind of libertarian party called the Libertarian Movement. It's done very badly in this election, but the position seems to have been taken by a party called the Liberal Progressive Party, um, which is, uh, from what I understand, a kind of very small state, but broadly so, uh, but does uh, genuinely back things like in vitro fertilization and same-sex marriage um, party. Um, so whatever, in, for the Costa Rican right, there might actually be a third pole, which is a kind of much more secularist right as well, which might kind of, Costa Rica seems to be more socially liberal than other Central American countries, um, which, you know, wealthier countries tend to be more socially liberal. Um, so whether that, that, that might kind of be a third division within the Costa Rican right. I think that that's very plausible. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's usually it's usually the left that's divided. Well, that's that's the joke. Um, I don't know if that actually yeah. bears out. Um, I don't know if that actually bears out in the in, in actuality. Yeah, real life. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in terms of the legislative assembly, um, no, no, no party has a majority, obviously. The National Liberation Party, which also won the the most amount of seats, and it's projected to have won 18, 18 of fifty seven seats. So that's that's not huge. And the second in second place is is the traditional center right party, which doesn't mm -hmm. figure very you know prominently 
it's it's fourth place in the presidential election, mm. but second place in the legislative election with 11, 11 Congress people. And then the the social progress, uh, social democratic progress party with 9%, uh, sorry, not nine, uh, nine um, Congress people. Nine seats, so the, yeah. Nine, mm. Sorry, nine seats, yes, nine seats. Um, while it was second place in the first round of the presidential voting. So there's going to be a fair amount of obviously have coalition building to be done. Whoever wins, yeah, um, yeah. I'm kind of interested here, like, and this is something that's going to be kind of interesting in the second round as well. Uh, like, the two candidates have reached the second round are have both been described a lot by as centrist to kind of center left. Um, so. So you've got this very kind of divided scene ideologically, but you've got two candidates who I think are broadly speaking are, are kind of from a similar ideological space, but one of them is kind of a very old guard politician, like literally comes from the dynasty that basically founded the current political system, has been a previous president, you know, uh, and and the other is a party that literally didn't exist at the last election. <laughs> like, very, very, um, uh, someone who hasn't really been in politics before now. Um, so whether those two parties might to some extent kind of become allies or um, after the fact of this election or whether the, 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 there's kind of other tensions there, because of that old guard, new guard distinction. It's kind of an interesting um, thing kind of moving forward. It is because, I mean, the, the two top parties don't really have a lot of ideological space between them. Mm. Um, they're not, you know, um, they don't have strong ideological or policy agenda factors as they do with, for example, um, the New Republic Party, which is the, the evangelical, the one that, that, that yeah. put the, the evangelical candidate up. So, we, yeah, that could be like a majority kind of a, that'd be, it could be a possibility. That, and they would, that would be enough to, to have a majority. Yeah. So. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Although, uh, yeah, and it's also the case that um, the Social Christian Unity Party has, um, has been, been in government with the PLN recently as well. So, you know, maybe they're, Maybe there might be ties up there that either one of them could do. It's like an interesting, it's an interesting environment. Um, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, I was actually in Costa Rica many years ago, and it is very beautiful. Um, the signature animal that you're meant to see, and I think for good reasons, in one of the many beautiful natural reserves, is the sloth um that is uh, you know mm. uh, very um <laughs> very quirky looking and slow animal kind of maybe like um how citizens feel um in terms of their apathy towards elections in costa rica now um which which by the oh by the way we forgot to mention this the turnout was really low the second lowest in the country's history actually below 60 yeah. percent so. Yeah, which uh, Costa Rica has a history of very high turnouts. Um, like some elections, you know, like typical turnouts at one point were 
above 80%. So, yeah, I don't know. Did Costa Rica ever have compulsory voting? Because a, a number of Latin American countries have, haven't they? Yeah, but it doesn't bring a bell. I don't think so. Um, mm, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it is. Okay. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I, and also a very brief note myself. I'm very glad to see that a, um, a far right party called Just Costa Rica got less than 1% of the vote. Because although it, the, the, it wasn't the candidate in question, the, the actual leader of the party is the son of a famous Romanian far right politician who moved to Costa Rica to oh become a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. uh, so, uh, yes, the, the national shame of Romania. Uh, <laughs> if uh, that, that party had done significantly well. Oh. Uh, like, uh, yeah, I, I came across him, I mentioned it to Maluka and her face just fell. <laughs> so, oh, goodness. Yeah. They're spreading. They're yes. spreading. Oh yes. God! Romania exporting its bad far right politicians. Um, it's not something that either of us want to see. <laughs> That's awful. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Good that he got defeated. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Have we said all we want to say about Costa Rica then? I think yeah. so. Now, at least. Yeah. 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 Um, I might briefly. You can decide whether to cut this out or not, but um, one downside of Costa Rica having an army and not having an army is that um, in the 2000s, Costa Rica was the victim of what has been described by some people as the first Google Maps war. (laughs) Um, Because um, in essence, um, there's a bit of the there's a bit of the country near the border of Nicaragua which is contested between the two countries, and Google Maps accidentally um, put it in Nicaragua, so the Nicaraguan military invaded <laughs> on the basis that if Google Maps says that that's part of our country, it's part of our country, <laughs> um, and then because Costa Rica didn't have a military, it took a little bit of international mediators get them out again um but yeah it's just something that's a little bit amusing um albeit in a slightly dark way <laughs> okay all right well on, on that note i think we yeah. will uh, leave costa rica behind um until april and uh, mom will be back to to give you the details of this exciting centrist on centrist runoff um mm. fight that we'll have um but yeah until then we'll see you next week for i believe castile and leon regional elections i think is the next yeah. one coming up um other than that um have a nice week and thanks for listening right thank you bye goodbye